All right, uh, this morning, I want to draw your attention to Exodus chapter 17, second book of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible or um, uh, some scripture on your device or something, and you want to just read it out of the bulletin, it's printed in the bulletin as well. Exodus chapter 17. What I'd like to do is um, uh, read beginning at verse 8, the second part of that chapter, and read to the end. I was thinking about this uh, this morning. Um, one song, kind of a historic hymn that we have not sung here for a while, is Onward, Christian Soldiers. I know that in some circles uh, of the church, um, that hymn has been intentionally removed from, from the hymnals, not just because, well, people think it's old and they don't like it, but they don't, they don't think it's appropriate to have that kind of language uh, sung in the church. Uh, uh, I would kindly disagree. And the reason for that is because we find all kinds of military imagery in the Bible, not just all the battles of the Old Testament, but in a sense, very militant language that we find in the New Testament, reminding us that the Christian life is a hard go. You know, Jesus never promised a bed of roses, as they say. But he says, man, you've got to fight the good fight. The enemy is strong. And if we're going to achieve the crown of victory, it's going to require real effort and real fighting against the enemy. And we're going to be looking at that this morning, which is, I think is appropriate, given the fact that tomorrow we will be celebrating Memorial Day. So, one battle among many in the Old Testament we're considering. Exodus chapter 17, the people of God are going through a wilderness on the way to the land of Canaan, the promised land, and they meet an enemy called Amalek. So, verse 8, let's read together. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it, while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called, it, uh, and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Some of us here this morning... Um, grew up in a different denomination years ago, and you remember the, the church periodical that came out, I forget, I think it was like once a month or something, it was simply called The Banner. Like, why did they call it The Banner? Well, now you know, it comes up with this passage. A passage that revolves around one of many victories of the people of Israel, the people of God over their enemies. And they, you know, just like Israel today, you know, Israel's the nation of Israel today is, is, you know, the enemies are constant, right? And nothing has changed in that regard. Many uh, enemies that the Israelites faced years ago. 
And the interesting thing is, is every time that they fought in their own strength and they did not rely upon the power and the provisions of God, they lost. And every time they fought in faith, trusting the provisions of God for victory, they got the victory. No matter who the enemy was, how many, how powerful, they gained the victory. Because God blessed them for their faith. Something for us to remember um, this morning. Now, after uh, the victory here, you see that the, the Moses, who is the leader of God's people at this point, really does two things to remember this victory. First of all, he memorializes it by writing it down for posterity, that is for future generations. Not going to forget this one. And also what he did is he built an altar, a memorial, a physical memorial. And you think about it, you know, tomorrow you wonder how many little towns dotted across this American landscape are, are going to be commemorating, remembering the prices paid by individuals in their community in the various wars that this nation has fought. Something similar to what is going on here. I remember when I was young and it was Memorial Day in the little Iowa town that I grew up that various individuals would go to the cemetery south of town and they would gather around a flagpole with an unfurled American flag and um, certain individuals would speak and you, the, the kinds of people who gathered as citizens of the town and some of the older guys were wearing uniforms, um, probably from the local VFW, the Veterans of Foreign uh, Wars. And there's usually kind of a, a smaller group there. And then words were spoken that reminded the people of the wars that were fought and the ultimate sacrifices that were made by some of the individuals um, from the community. I lived at a time when there were still World War II veterans around. And, uh, you know, now they're in their 90s or their hundreds. They're, they're dwindling. There's not too many left. But at that time, a lot of those guys were in their 50s. And we grew up with World War II stories. And when I was around, I think, 13 or 14, there was a guy who took me on. And in the small town I grew up, they had certain guys from the individual ran businesses and construction works, and they would, they would hire young kids. I never thought about it, but I think about it now. I thought that was pretty cool. You know, you, you take on this kid. You know how he's going to work out, but you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna let him know what a life of work was all about. And this guy took me on, and he, he, was, a, he was a sergeant in the Aleutian Islands uh, because of the threat of the Japanese uh, concerning the state of Alaska. And so he served there. He was a sergeant there, and he ran his business like a sergeant. And I worked with a pastor's kid, too, and he didn't care. And when he needed, the guy's name was Greg, and when he needed Greg, Greg, get over here, you have... I, I can't say it from the pulpit. It wasn't a swear word, but, you know, his sergeant just kind of came through. But he, he was a gritty guy, but he was also a guy who lost his brother in a B-17 uh, over, uh, 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 over Germany, because in, especially in 1944 and 45, as the, as the war was starting to move to the end, um, the British especially, but also Americans were having bombing runs um, over Germany. And he, and he lost his brothers. Uh, his name was Ari. Lost his brother Ari. And, uh, well, anyway, the, the town would get together and they would, they would remember those guys. This is, this is what's going on here. You know, it's interesting that the Bible has various memorials. 
Sometimes there's stone memorials. Sometimes things are just written down. Whereby God is saying, listen, I don't want you to forget this. This is, a, this is a significant battle. I don't want you to forget it. And when we take a look at the passage, now we're going to look at it. When we take a look at the passage, God is basically saying three basic things. And these are so simple that the smallest child can understand this. Or if you're absolutely new to the Christian faith, you can understand this too. We see three things in this passage. Number one, God says you need to fight. And by the way, he's not only saying it to his people, he's saying it to the Christian community today. That's you and me. He says, if you're going to live the Christian life, if you're going to grow in sanctification, that is progressive growth in the Christian life, you've got to fight. There's no winning without a fight. Secondly, we need each other to fight. And thirdly, the Lord is ultimately saying, you need me to fight with you, for you. As Jesus says, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Those three things, okay? Now let's set the context for this, right? So, as I said earlier, the people of God, our ancestors, just call them that, they had... Uh, they experienced about 430 years of slavery in the land of Egypt. Very difficult time. And God promised a man named Abraham, their forebear, many years before, that he was going to give the people, the people of Israel, um, and the descendants of Abraham, this land, land known as land of Canaan, uh, a productive land. But they needed to travel through a wilderness after getting out of Egypt to get to this productive land of Canaan. So in the, they're in the wilderness now. It was a hard go. They were oftentimes hungry and thirsty. There was the heat of the desert. As we only know too well, the temperatures are going up. So it was, a, it was a difficult existence. On top of that, they were facing many enemies. One of them was an enemy called Amalek or the Amalekites. Who are the Amalekites? Amalekites were distant cousins of the Israelites. They were descendants of an individual known as Esau. Remember that phrase in the Bible, Esau have I loved, or um, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. All throughout the Old Testament history, you see this dividing line between the descendants of Esau and the descendants of, of Jacob. The Israelites and the Amalekites were the descendants of Esau. And I won't get into more on that, but you can, there's, there's this tension here, this war here. And the Amalekites were not only distant cousins of the Israelites, they, they were people who historically have prayed on weak individuals. They're kind of like the vultures of the desert. And most of all, the Bible says this, that they had no fear of God before their eyes. And now they looked at the people of Israel and saw them as their next victim. Now, the Israelites at this point in their history are not like the people of Israel today or the nation of Israel today, which many people have said, pound for pound, they have one of the best militaries in the world, which has been demonstrated in the last couple of weeks in their fight against a terrorist organization, Hamas, right? They, they have this iron dome. Have you seen the videos of that? It's pretty incredible. But they have, they, they have the rockets that they fire, and they're really expensive, and they destroy most of the missiles coming in from Hamas and other organizations. But they also have a very sophisticated military with... Uh, high-end jets, precision-guided missiles, and all that. So it's a, it's a high-end military. Don't think of that when you look at this passage, okay? These are a bunch of, <laughs> they're a ragtag group of individuals, a little over two million strong, no, no military experience, no military training, <laughs> no military equipment. It's bad news, humanly speaking. But they have God, right? So the Amalekites assemble before the Israelites, and Moses as a leader figures, you know what, we don't have any option. We've got we to take, we got to fight. It's fight or die. 
So he says in verse 8, then, or the Bible says, Then Amalek came and fought with Israel in a place called Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, now this is the first time we find the name Joshua in the Bible. He's a military guy. He's in time going to be the successor of Moses. The Bible doesn't give us any background information on Joshua, so he's probably pretty well known at this time. All right? So Moses says to Joshua, choose for us men and go and fight with Amalek. Okay? Now, it's not, it's not Israel that's picking the fight. It's Amalek that's picking the fight. And it's fight or die. Which, if you think about it, that, that should be our motto as Christians and as a church. It's fight or die. It's probably not lost on most of you that, and we call the doctrine sanctification. What is sanctification? It's, 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 a, it's, it's progressive growth in the Christian mind, in the Christian worldview, in a Christian life. It's growth in Christianity and in your faith. There is no progressive growth in the faith through the word of God and through the spirit without fighting. Without fighting. And why do I say that? Because when you, when you look at the Bible as a whole, not just this passage, you look at the Bible as a whole, you see that we face, and you've heard this many times from this pulpit, we face it, what we call a triple enemy. Okay? So, one, we face, we face what's going on in the world and the allurements of the world, and you have Amalek as a physical enemy living in the world seeking to destroy the Israelites. Secondly, we face... Though we don't see it here, it's behind the scenes because we know this from the rest of the Bible. We face very dark, demonic spiritual forces that stand behind the forces of the world. The church has been facing that, and Christians have been facing that since the very beginning. So we have the world. We have dark forces around us, Satan, demonic forces. They are real. They're intelligent, and they're very powerful. And finally, there's the, probably the, the most destructive enemy of all, and that's you. And that's me, and that's the Israelites. And why do I say that? Because you would look at this in the immediate context. If you look at the beginning of chapter 17, the people are quarreling with Moses. And they're putting God ultimately to the test. Why are they, why are they griping to Moses? Why are they arguing with him? Because they're thirsty in the desert. We need water. We need water. Before that, in chapter 16, they're going like, man, we need something to eat. We need some meat. We, you know, we're dying here in the wilderness. And Moses is like, come on, God always provides. And here you are grumbling. And you know what? You're not ultimately grumbling against me as leader, but you're grumbling ultimately against God. That's, not, that's never a good thing. So you got, you got sin, human sin, their own worst enemy, and you have the world, and you have demonic forces. Exact same. I don't need to extrapolate that. Exact same enemies that we face today. No different. No different. Okay. That's why we need to fight. Because if you ain't fighting, the enemy will take you down because the enemy is that strong. It's fight or die. Are you fighting? Are you fighting? Not quite convinced you need to fight? Listen to these words from the Bible. The Apostle Paul says to the young pastor Timothy, fight the good fight of faith and take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. The Apostle Paul says about himself, he says, I buffet my body. That is, I, I discipline my body and I make it my own. 
lest having preached to others, I myself am disqualified. Uh, leave aside the sin that so easily entangles you and Notice the exertion here, the effort. Run the race set before you, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the path that leads to destruction, and many follow that path. Strive, effort, fight. A man named Dallas Willard put it this way, and I've cited it before, but that was probably a couple years ago. He says, God is against trying to earn salvation. You can't earn your salvation on the basis of being a good person. But God is not opposed to effort. It's all a part of the doctrine of sanctification. If you're going to grow in Christ, man, it's a fight. It's a fight every day of your life. You fighting? Is that part of your mentality? You know? Think about that. More could be said. Let's move on. We not only need to fight, but we need each other to fight. All right, take a look at the scriptures again. So, verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Now, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. This is the kind of story that invites all our imaginations to enter in. Kids, think about this, okay? You have, you have these three individuals. You've got Moses, who's Moses. He's the leader of Israel. And then you have Aaron, who's that? It's Moses' brother. And then you got her. I want to say good luck with that one, because the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about her, okay? And some commentators believe that it may have even been Moses' brother-in-law. But at any rate, you have these three individuals, And then you have Joshua, who's leading the fight, right? He's the captain of the army. So, Moses says to Joshua before the fight, the next day, he says, I'm going to go up on a hill, I'm going to have the staff of the Lord in my hand. As a a demonstration that, you know what? We, we, we We fight with dependence upon God, represented by the staff. I'm going to go up on the, I'm going to go up on a hill. You're going to see me there. So the next day, the fight commences. And Moses and Joshua, or uh, Moses and Aaron and her go to this top of the hill. I don't know how high it was, the Bible doesn't say, but high enough where no doubt Joshua and some of the soldiers could see Moses. And we read that Moses would raise, he had figured this, I mean, imagine this, he's got a staff in a hand, I don't know if it's right or left, but anyway, his hands are up. And the Bible says as long as his hands were up, you know, um, Israel was winning. It's a good thing. But, as you can imagine, you know, you start to get tired after a time. And your hands begin to go down. And when the hands go down with Moses, Amlock begins to win. After church, I always see little kids outside in the playground. Maybe you should get five boys, go somewhere maybe you can't be seen, maybe around the corner, and then all right, you do a contest. Five strongest boys, raise your hand and see how long you can hold them up, okay? 
Now, I can do that right now. That's not a problem. But within one or two minutes, I'm going to feel a tingling in my hands. Blood's going to go down my arms. And my shoulders are going to get sore. And upper neck is going to get sore. And pretty soon, you know, you just, who knows? How long? I don't even know how long. Maybe do this 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes. I don't know. But already now, I'm feeling a little bit of, a little bit of tension. Well, imagine this with Moses. He's got it like this. Well, he's getting tired. And so what happens? You have, you have uh, Aaron and her to help him out. So they seat him down on a rock. And Aaron is on one side, and Hur is on the other, and they lift their... So, because Moses can't do it after, over the long haul, and that's how they achieved the victory, right? Because Moses' hands were, were up. Now, listen, it doesn't take a PhD to figure out the application of that one. Yeah, we need to fight. We've seen that. We've demonstrated that. But you and I, just as Moses could not do it alone, you and I can't do that alone. We can't, we can't fight the good fight of faith alone in isolation, This is precisely where a lot of sin begins to enter into the congregation. And brothers and sisters, we're no different as any other church. Every once in a while, you got stuff happening. And it's really interesting, um, not in a good sense, it's just interesting in a sense of just kind of being aware that on more than one occasion, and you can talk to Pastor Michael about this, and maybe you yourself are talk, uh, experiencing this as well. But in, in pastoral experience, what I have seen is that God has gifted some for singleness. God has, has gifted some for marriage. marriage. Marriage has a lot of pressures and difficulties to it. If you're married, if you want a good marriage, you know that takes work. But the, one of the positive things about marriage is you have an accountability partner. right? So if my wife sees me sliding, oh, she'll tell me. And if I see her, you know, I'll tell her too. You know, we, we're, we're, we're mutual sources of sanctification. When you're single, who do you got? Okay? Sometimes being single is not always lonely, but it can be lonely. And you think of the Lord Jesus in the, in the wilderness. Talk about isolation. Remember Matthew 4 and, and Luke 4? At the, right at the beginning of his ministry, he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And is anybody around him? No. It says him and the wild animals and the elements of the desert. Who approaches him in the wilderness in isolation? It's the devil. But the devil doesn't approach him just in his isolation, but the devil approaches him after a 40-day fast when he is absolutely at his weakest. It's at that point, at that point, that he makes his attack. There's something to learn from that. Kids, even, have you seen this where you, you maybe watch a TV or, or something and uh, watch TV and you see these National Geographic specials and you have this herd of elephants and who's around the herd of elephants? You got like 10 or 15 hyenas. And who are they going after? They're not going after the bull elephants thinking, you know, he's got a lot of meat on him. You know, we'll go after him. Uh-uh. They'll get stomped. What do they do? They look for the small elephant, the one who straggles, the one who is on his own and the others can't protect, and they wait, and they wait, and then they go after him, and sometimes they can get him, right? There, there, there are dangers in isolation. That's why we all need this place. And even if you're visiting, you're saying, looking for a church, don't look too long. Don't look too long. Isolation is never a good thing. Attach yourself to the body of Jesus Christ, because we need each other. And I'll leave you with this. Um, when you take a look at the passage, God may may be calling you to be a Moses, the one who's saying, I need help. 
Or God may require you to be an Aaron and a Hur, not the one who asks for help, but the one who gives help. We're all in this together. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. Probably weren't thinking of that, were you, when you, when you read this story? So we need to fight. We need each other to fight. And then finally, for the sake of time, I want to draw your attention to verse 14, to the end of the chapter. Then the Lord said, all right, this is after the victory. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner, saying, A hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So, simply, they gain the victory. And then what does Moses do? As I said earlier, he memorializes the event by writing it down for posterity, for future generations. And then what does he do? He builds an altar, a memorial. And he names it. He just doesn't build it. He names it. What's it called? The Lord is my banner. You go, what's a banner? Banner is kind of like, uh, it's likened to, in a sense, a flagpole. With an unfurled flag, it's a place where people gather around. People remember. People, people um, gain encouragement. Camaraderie. The banner is ultimately a, a testimony to the fact that Victory rests with, ultimately with the Lord, right? Because we read, Moses says, the Lord, er, what, how does it put it? Um, Moses built an altar and called, it, called the name of it, the Lord is my banner. And then he says something. He says, my hand is upon the throne of the Lord, right? A hand upon the throne of the Lord. As if to say, when I had, when I, when I had my hands up and my staff was up too, it was like my hand was reaching out to the very throne of the king of the universe. And when I do that, I'm saying that, that victory for me and for the people of God does not rest upon me, but it rests upon the king. <laughs> the king. Power, provision, victory always rests with him. I mean, if there is a theme of the Old Testament and all the battles they fought, man, it is that over and over and over again. Victory only comes through the Lord. So, so, as you start to draw to a close, again, you know, though, though these events occurred many, many years ago, and it's so easy with Old Testament stuff to say, well, you know, that, that was way, it's like, not like the New Testament, this is way back when. It doesn't always seem so relevant. Oh, man, it's always relevant. And learned a lot of things here. And, and one of the things basically is this is that there are many times, like Israel, where we are outnumbered, we are outpowered, uh, we are out-strategized, right? And, and sometimes, you know, not only are, fa- are we facing the allurements of the world, and as, as, our, and as parents, as our kids grow up, and we begin to see our grandchildren, we're, we're, we're always worried about that, right? What, what are going to be the effects of the world? All these lures, all these seductions. So we got the world, and we got those... Those things that we don't oftentimes think about because they're invisible. But they're invisible dark forces that stand behind the world. And then we always got the problem of our own hearts. We have met the enemy, as is sometimes said, and the enemy is us, right? So, and sometimes the weight of this just, is, is, it just seems so overpowering. 
and, and rather than fight, we just give in and figure we'll, you know, live another day. Someone once said that victory over the moment is victory over eternity. If you give in to too many moments, ask yourself the question, then what is this really doing to me? Certainly not growing me. Am I, am I beginning to, to, to slip slide away? And, and the Lord says, listen, you, what you need to do is, first of all, you need to just, just be honest with yourself. Just confess it. And then, and then once, you, once you confess it and you seek forgiveness in the name of, of Christ, the captain of salvation, that's where it begins. Then realize something about yourself, that you, you are weak. You are weak, and as I noted, in isolation, it's never a good thing. So rest, rest in Jesus, rest in forgiveness, but also rest in the spirit of God that he has given us to empower us and to enable us to fight actually the fight that we need to fight in this life. A fight for holiness, a fight for godliness, a fight for growing deeper in the faith, a fight for remaining committed to the church of Jesus in this particular body. And, and if you need help, ask for help. You know, call your district elder, call your pastor, call somebody that you may know in the church, but also a reminder to us, not everybody feels that they can do that. You know, maybe they're not connected. So you think about that as well. That, that you, you look, listen, look for the person who needs, that you think needs help. It's a person that you think is a straggler, okay? Listen, been here for 12 years. I still see, and I'm kind about this, but I still see some of the same groups gathering. It happens in every church. Get out of your little clique for a while. It doesn't happen to everybody. Get out of your clique. Look for somebody else. Minister to them. But also let us remember this, that what the Lord is ultimately saying, and we'll just, I'll just end briefly with this point, what the Lord is ultimately doing in this passage, and he's in love and compassion, he's taking our face in his hands, and he's looking at us, He's putting our eyes, his eyes to ours, and he's saying, now you know something from this passage, right? You know you need to fight. Don't give in. Don't capitulate. Never give up. Keep fighting. But ultimately realize that you can't do it alone. So look at me, says the Lord. Look at me. I will fight with you, and I will fight for you because I love you, and I want what is best for you. So draw near to me and ask. And the one who asks, I will give. And I will oftentimes give more generously than what you can ask or even imagine. Trust him for that. Trust him for that. Let's remember that, right? All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, Father, in, in, in a good sense, give us a militant spirit. In the sense, O oh God, that we realize that the Christian life is, is not easy. Lord Jesus, we think of your words where you said, who would ever come after me, let him 
deny himself. Let him die to himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Lord, we realize that's difficult. Whether we are a small child or whether we have been in a faith for a long time, or Lord, especially if we are relatively new to the faith and we've been a Christian maybe just three, four, five years, Lord, we're, we're in a vulnerable position, every one of us at times. So Lord, we pray, remind us to fight, remind us how we need each other, but remind us above all, Lord, how we need you. Oh God, equip us by your word and spirit to continue that fight that over time, Lord, we may grow in our faith, we may look more and more like Jesus, and one day receive the crown of victory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.